Hey, thanks for listening in this episode. Talking about hospice care shouldn't be a deathbed conversation. Bike sharing gets the gaze of science for its health benefits. And you know what? It pays to shop around for urgent care. Patty Singer with me as usual. Hi, Patty. I'm Matthew Leonard, and we're going to talk about some topics in the world of health and healthy living. How are you doing? Hi, Matthew. What are you hearing on your networks about um, the importance of these kinds of pre-palliative conversations? I mean, it, it's crucial. You know, I was I was hoping that Barbara Bush would have lived long and well on hospice care. When I heard that she was seeking comfort care, I said, great, early in the process, this is wonderful. This is really going to start a whole conversation about end-of-life decisions. And then two days later, she, she was gone. And, and as I feel for her family, you know, having lost both parents, I, I understand what the family's going through. But it was an opportunity. It could have been an opportunity to get people to for talking about hospice care before they're on their deathbeds. It's a conversation that just so many individuals and families really don't want to have. Uh, and there's some, some data just in western New York in our area that's put out by Excellus that an awful lot of people know about healthcare proxies, but they don't, about half, 80% of the people know about a proxy. When you look at, well, how many have filled it out? Go down into the 40%. Proxies are obviously the person that you want to make the decisions for you, but as part of these end-of-life decisions, you get to say what you want and that those documents serve for when you can't speak for yourself. You know, and I know from personal experience that when that person can't speak for him or herself, having had those discussions makes it an incredibly difficult time easier for everybody because you know what the person wanted. You're saying, you know, this is what mom, dad, husband, wife, son, daughter wanted, and so this is what we're doing for them. And with the Bush situation, it was, I think, selfishly, an opportunity to really put that out in front of the nation with a person, really, a woman who was beloved across the political spectrum. I know you look at her, you think of her now, and all you see are the pearls. You know, so this really could have brought people right. together. She and was now, a unifying figure, it, and she could have been someone that the conversation could have co- coalesced around. But even before, uh, there was a, a decision before um, that was, which was her decision to refuse further care for, for the condition that was killing her. And that's also another part of that conversation that she, she deliberately made a decision to, to have, have care withdrawn as well right. and, and, to, and to go into that, that right. final and state. That's, right? And that's, that's, that's what hospice... Palliative care and hospice are... Uh, hospice is an umbrella. It's under the umbrella of palliative care. I mean, you can break your leg and you can get palliative care, but people think of it as an end-of-life kind of thing. Right. You know, hospice is is at palliative care at the end of life, but hospice, too many people equate hospice with the day you die as opposed to the months in which you live up until the day you die. Um, you, you withdraw active treatment, but you still receive care for your symptoms, for anything that is making you uncomfortable. There is an array of treatment that's given for that. So people can live very, very well. So if you haven't gone through it, you, you think I'm crazy. But people can live well 
on hospice and can live a very full life, and that's what it is meant to be. We have hospice homes and things like that where people go for their last days. Some of those people are truly on their deathbed. Some can be there for a month or more, again, living well with the parameters of their disease. You don't get to go to the cardiologist. You don't get to have other kinds of tests that you would have if you're seeking active treatment. But it doesn't mean the day you go on hospice is the day you die. You're on death Too watch, many right. families right. think of it that way. So, uh, you know, Monday night at the Unitarian Church over on South Winton, um, there's a woman, Mary Ellen Marcant, who has done, she has this Exeter. E-X-I-T-E-R, university, and talks about these topics. And I'm going to be part of the panel that's going to talk about hospice care. Uh, and there's going to be people who are providing care for comfort homes and people who do hospice work to talk about that. And, and seriously, if you're in the area you know, and you're available Monday night, it's free. I would urge you to come and hear about what this really is like. It's It can be incredibly frightening, but we can't keep missing these opportunities to talk about good deaths and bringing families together at this incredibly difficult time. Right. So uh, an opportunity to continue the conversation that almost got started around uh, the late Barbara Bush Monday night. Uh, thanks, Patty, for that. And now the weather's kind of improved, moving on to uh, moving on to a different topic. Um, the, the weather's kind of improved. We've seen in the downtown of the city, at least, we've seen the uh, reinstallation of the bike racks for bike share programs in, uh, in, the, uh, in the city area. So uh, why are bike sharing programs getting the attention of the scientists now? Well, they're worldwide. We think of it just in Rochester, but they're nationwide, they're worldwide. They've been going for enough years now where there's some data to start to look at, and it's not just you know these really small numbers to see. So uh, three aspects that are being looked at for bike sharing, the scientists are looking at the economics of bike sharing. So is access to bike sharing equal across economic uh, the economic spectrum. I think we can see that in Rochester, really not so much. We see a lot, you know, college town, downtown, but do we see a lot of these uh, in North Clinton? Do we see a lot in Northeast areas? Do we see a lot up on Lyle Avenue? Right, and, the, not, and not we know yet. also the commute times for, for city residents are substantially greater right. than people in the, the suburban, the suburban right. communities, right. right? So, you know, they're looking at for the economics, you know, how can bike sharing help people get to work? Can this be an economic, it can be used to improve the economic status of people, uh, lower income, who, who don't have cars and where public transportation may not be uh, as reliable, you know, as we'd like it to be. So they're looking also at health. Um, what are the physical benefits of this? Who's reaping them? So one study that I looked at showed that, uh, interesting, there was more benefit to for men than for women and more for older than younger users. That was a little bit interesting. Again, these studies come from around the world. Some of them were done in Canada. Some were done in the U.K., areas where there may be just more bike-friendly to begin with. Right. Older people riding bikes and, and using it for transportation. But the other thing... And this got me even at the beginning when we, when we first had Zagster, now Pace, is riders of the shared bike riders are unlikely to wear helmets. Right. Which, if you think about it, makes sense. Because if this is if this is an impulse kind of thing, oh, let me just hop on the bike, right. am I really going to log my helmet with me? If we're using this as a way to, to help people who are impoverished or don't have transportation get to work, should we be promoting helmet use 
among these individuals for a safety factor. So, I mean, the shared bikes are great fun. They can be great convenience, but uh, are we somehow promoting some unsafe practices as well, you know, when we're when we're having the bike. So uh, Rochester hasn't really studied these yet. Again, this is only our second year, so right. we, don't, we don't have enough data no, for that. Yeah. You know, uh, last year, in case you're wondering how many people use them, so data showed that there were more than 8,000 registered users, and they took more than 22,000 trips. So it's, it's, it may take a couple more years for us to see to really have enough riders to see what the numbers are here, and it may it may take it may take some uh, masters of public health students out there counting right. to see who's using helmets and who isn't, and safety factors and things along those lines. Right, and it'll depend on the quality of the roads and the infrastructure and the sidewalk and, and pricing. Obviously, price points are very significant. Uh, having used them in a couple of cities, uh, I know in Salt Lake City in Utah, incredibly prohibitively expensive. I mean, the cost, the the the, the modeling for how they got the bike share programs in there just didn't add up because the cost of use just didn't make any sense. And that's a city that actually has light rail and has some other transport options. So there you go. We'll see. Um, urgent care. We've talked about it before. We talked about the kind of growing competition between uh, the, um, the health providers in uh, in Monroe County, particularly, and in the, uh, in the city and surrounds. Uh, now, now you're saying it pays to shop around. I mean, we talked about the fact that procedures that uh, would cost less if they're not on an accelerated time frame, um, you know, you need to be careful because you don't know what the ultimate price, price point could be for, for procedures that you're getting done through, say, the ER are going to be more expensive than through your normal health provider. What else are you telling us about well, pri- pricing? Well, we're working on a story about pricing at, at, at urgent care, and they it can vary. Now, you run into the same problem there as everywhere else. What's it going to cost me? can't really tell you. There, There is an independent uh, urgent care, uh, immediate care east out in uh, uh, the Fairport area that's an independent shop, in a sense. You know, you can pay out of pocket there, and it's it's $150, and then it will depend. It may go up depending on what else they have to do. You can use insurance there or not. It, it depends. Um, but there are some of those affiliated with hospital systems may be more expensive than other ones affiliated with that same hospital system. That's what we're working on, uh, on, on a story on that. So if you've got some urgent care stories that you want to share about pricing, this is where we get to the shameless self-promotion part, you can shoot me an email. It's psinger, P-S-I-N-G-E-R, at gannett.com, or you can message me on Twitter at Patty, it's P-A-T-T-I, Singer, S-I-N-G-E-R-R-O-C, Pat, at Patty Singer Rock on Twitter. We can talk about some of the pricing adventures that you may have had at your local urgent care. So once again, that's get your pencil now, right? <laughs> right. P-Singer, P-S-I-N-G-E-R, at Gannett.com. So thanks for listening to us. Thanks again. Good to see you, Patty. All right, Matthew.